why don't you just uh, turn to the people beside you. Some of you came in and it was dark and you don't even know who you're sitting next to. Why don't you just say hello, do a little heads up. Don't even have to touch, just do the old eyebrow lift. Great to see Charlene and Jack here. We didn't know if there'd be a baby in their arms, but uh, maybe next week. <laughs> if you are visiting, <laughs> church is not over. If you're visiting, if you're new with us here today, we're so happy to have you here. Um, we'd love you to hang around after the service as well to stay for a cup of coffee with us as well. So my name is Kylie. I'm part of the team here at One Heart. And today I want to speak about... Um, the unity of God, uh, the unity of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then the unity of us with Jesus and what that means, and then even more, but wait, there's more, the unity that Jesus invites us into with each other, with all those people that you're sitting next to for eternity. And then I want to talk about how we can be united in such a divided world. That's the title of my sermon. How can we be united in a divided world? What has God got to say about that? So we're going to begin by reading from Ephesians 1, um, verse 3 to 11. Let us give thanks. This is the gospel, the whole gospel. Let us give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for in our union with Jesus, God has blessed us by giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ so that we would be holy. We would be holy and without fault, blameless in his sight. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ, he would make us, adopt us as his sons and daughters. And that was his great pleasure and his purpose. So let us praise God for his glorious grace, for the free gift he gave us in his dearly beloved son. For by the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, we are set free. That is, our sins forgiven. How great is the grace of God which he gives to us in such large measure. He lavishes it upon us. In all of his wisdom and insight, God did what he had purposed and he makes known to us the secret plan that he had already decided on by Jesus. This plan, what is God's plan? This plan, which God will complete when the time is right, is to bring all of creation together all that is in heaven and on earth, in unity in Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. And that is huge. You know, when it talks about us, God's pleasure at adopting us, I want to give you a little bit of homework. You can just go onto YouTube and I think Google something like um, surprise adoptions. And you can watch these compilations of 
um, you'll need some tissues. <laughs> it's pretty tear-jerking stuff. You see all these families, all these parents, all these couples um, planning and deciding and saying to the child, the foster child, that now is the day that they get to be adopted and everybody cries and you'll be bawling watching it. But try and watch that with just this idea, this inkling, which this verse says that it was God's pleasure before even the world began to plan to adopt us as his children. He takes great pleasure in it because he loves us. He, he's not like, oh man, now I've got to save those guys. <laughs> before the world even began, he was delighting and planning that through Jesus, he loved us so much, he wants to adopt us and give us the inheritance of everything, everything that he has because he loves us. Jesus' own prayer is that we would be involved in this life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, John 17, 21, if you want to know what Jesus is praying for you, Jesus prayed this to God the Father, I pray that they, that's all of us, will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That's Jesus' prayer for us. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. So God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are three distinct persons, but one being, one God. And they don't um, kind of lose their, their individuality or their distinct personhood by being united. Sometimes we think that being united means we have to agree with everyone and it waters us down. But we see in God that it is only by being united in love that they're able to perfectly be their own person. God, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is not united with each other in this community under duty or because it's a law of the universe or because they just have to, because there was only them and no one else before creation and they just had to get along. No, God, the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus love each other and they are perfectly united in love. So being a Christian, if you've heard that this is something to do with coming to church on a Sunday occasionally, or you've heard that it's something to do with following rules in the Bible, then you haven't heard the gospel yet. Because being a Christian means that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, perfectly united in eternal life and eternal love, invites you to share in that life with Him. That's what it means. It's, it's entirely different from being a church attender, isn't it? We are invited to share in the perfect everlasting love of the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Whew. It's not even a religion. It, it is a, a relationship entering into the living relationship of the living God. And to live with him in that way, to be united with Jesus, we have to be like God to be able to live like that. Ephesians 4.22 says, we need to put off our old way of living, put off our sinful nature and former ways of life because it was corrupted by deceitful desires. Ephesians 5.1 says that we need to be imitators of God, not like slaves though, as beloved children, not like robots, as beloved children, walking in love just as Christ gave himself up for us. So we united, we're invited to be united 
to Jesus. And the only way to do that is through the cross. This leads us to the cross of Jesus. In Romans 6, verse 6 to 11, it says this. We know that our old self has now been put to death with Christ on his cross in order that the power of our sinful self will be destroyed so that we no longer are slaves to sin. Because when a person dies, they are set free from the power of sin. And since we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that Christ has been raised from the dead and death will never die from death and he will never die again. Death will no longer rule over him. So because he died, sin has no power over him and now he lives in fellowship with God. So in the same way, you are to think of yourself as dead in relation to sin and living in the fellowship of God through Jesus Christ. This is way different than attending church on a Sunday or even reading the Bible or saying grace at meals. This is, as Pastor Rob was saying, this is leaving the old kingdom of darkness and moving into an entirely new life, isn't it? Galatians 2.20, it says this again, that we're to be so united with Jesus that it is actually as though we died on that cross ourselves, that we would look at a crucifix and say, that was the day that I died with Jesus on that cross. Galatians 2.20, I have been put to death with Christ on his cross. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. So I'm no longer my own. My will, my agenda, my plans, all of it is is surrendered and, and left at the cross. And now as a believer in Jesus, following Jesus doesn't mean that he's like the mother duck and we're a bunch of little baby ducks that follow after him. It means kind of like this entire death to ourselves that we be completely united to Jesus. And now we take on his will and his agenda and his plans. We are no longer our own. Our prayer is, Jesus, you gave yourself for me and now I will live for you. Never as a duty, never as a law, just because we love you. How could we let those precious drops of blood be in vain? He wants to forgive us. We, we have to accept and not let his death be in vain. Accept the forgiveness and grace that he gives us. We cry out with John, we love him. Cry out with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And Jesus cries out for us. Now may they be one. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. No divisions. Perfectly united in mind and thought. 
how do you feel we're going on that right now? Isn't it weird that in our tiny little town in Portland Cunha, two protests going on, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, completely different ones. It's the state of the world now. There are so many divisions. So many people have opinions. More than any other time in my life, I, I, I just walk down the street and people, complete strangers, unasked, tell me their opinion. Has that happened to you? And they're not just opinions like people saying, oh, this is my opinion, what's yours? Let's have a civil discussion about it and we'll listen and talk better. No, <laughs> they are like, someone is triggered and then there are high emotions and people are right or wrong and it's normally they who are right and you who are wrong and opinions are being thrown around like plates and smashing into things and, and hurting people. Have you noticed that around town as well? So the question is for us as believers in Jesus, how can we be united? How can we be in this agreement that Paul is talking of? How can we be one heart and one mind? Goodness, even our church is called one heart. How do we do that? What does it mean when Paul says that we are to agree with each other? Does that mean we all just have to agree on every topic? That's why people are saying to the church leaders, can you please just put out a statement that we all agree with? You can't make one of those on every topic. And what do we do when we can't agree? Paul, are we meant to like have sessions and debate and have education and teach each other until we're blue in the face and everyone does agree? And what do we do if we don't agree? Do we say, fist bump, okay, I agree to disagree. But even though I taught my children to agree to disagree to get out of an argument, that is not the same that has been perfectly united in mind and thought, is it? So the question that the church has to, we each have to wrestle with is how do we be united in a divided world? Because remember, God's plan revealed to us is that all things will be united under Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 3.10 says um, that God will use the church to display his manifest glory to all the spiritual powers. Somehow the body of Christ, us, are meant to be displaying this. So we're going to get some wisdom today from the book of Corinthians, the first letter of Corinthians, because the place in Corinth, this church, which is only pretty new, is totally divided. They're divided on pretty much everything you can come across. There's one book, and the first letter of Corinthians from Paul has got like at least 11 different topics that they're massively divided on. They're divided in their church. They're broken into like different parties in their church. Some are like, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Peter. Some say, I follow only Jesus. Paul's like, what are you talking about? They're divided on marriage. They've got some people who are thinking, well, now Jesus has forgiven us of everything. We can marry whoever we want. So someone's married their stepmother. It's getting messy. Some are going, well, I'm just going to keep my fiance and I'm never going to get married. I'll just string her along. Some are new Christians and their partner is not a Christian. They're like, well, I'll just divorce them. Um, because I'm a Christian and they're not. Others continue to go to the temple where they worship and have temple prostitutes. And they're like, that's cool because um, that's kind of my side gig and I'm still part of the body of Christ. They have divisions. They have divisions on what to eat, how to do family, how to do church, um, how to do leadership, everything. So much so that their regular way to deal with divisions <laughs> is to take them to court. So they're regularly taking the other Christians in their church um, under a lawsuit to court 
basically going to the judge and going, I'm right, he's wrong, you tell us the answer. Can you imagine how our church would function if everyone just took each other to court all the time? It'd be expensive. So Paul speaks to those different uh, situations, but if you look at the Corinthians over um, an overview, what we see is that Paul's saying there are some issues, there are some topics which we must be informed by the gospel of Jesus. What happened to our re- in the resurrection, how we manage families, how we deal with leadership, how we worship as a church, you must follow the gospel on those. You have to learn it. You have to understand this is God's way. But there are other topics, there are other issues which actually don't really have an eternal impact. Whether you eat meat or not, God isn't really that fussed. He doesn't be like, yes, you ate the meat or no, you sinner, you didn't eat the meat. God's not really bothered about those. And Paul's saying, but even in that, there's, there's still a way that we have to let the gospel inform us on how to live that out. So in the temple, in the Corinth, there were heaps and heaps of different temples, heaps and heaps of different gods, very, very multicultural place. And there was, um, you know, a big area where the shops, there's still some shops, uh, structures that are still there now, if you go on archaeological dig or something. Uh, And there was a meat market. This is the actual sign from the meat market in Corinth that, whatever it says, here's the meat. (laughs) I don't know. But it wasn't just like you'd find at the butchers, here's the meat, here's the lamb, here's the pork. It was actually the meat was slaughtered in rituals to idols. Um, So eating it was sort of being part of the worship of different idols. And in our new Corinthian church, some people were Jewish and they thought that it was a sin. They'd been taught this all their lives, never eat meat given to idols. That is a terrible sin. Very, very strong rules and laws on what you could eat or not. Then there are other people in the church who used to be pagans, and now they know those things aren't even real. They're not even real gods. They're just wood statues, and I'm free to eat the meat. Jesus is real, and I can eat the beef if I really like it. And they write to Paul, I think, trying to treat him like a judge so that he will go, oh, yes, you're right and you're wrong. They kind of write to him like, we have all this knowledge. We know about Jesus. Tell these guys that they're wrong. And Paul does not say that. In 1 Corinthians 8, he says, Now regarding your question about food offered to idols, a bit sarcastically, he says, Yes, we know we all have knowledge on this topic. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know much because the person who loves God is the person that God recognizes. So we can start right here today. This is immediately applicable, isn't it? There are issues going on in your world, in our world, in our society that you might feel very knowledgeable about and you might be very knowledgeable about and you might even be right and you might even be spiritually right. Paul goes on to say to these people, well, yes, you are right, but there can be a way to be right which is not right in the body of Christ. It brings division. It brings harm. It is love that strengthens, not being right. In fact, he goes on to say, yes, you can have meat if you like. It's not a sin. It's just a food. But if people see you eating the meat and they think 
mistakenly that you're worshipping those idols, they'll get the idea that you can follow Jesus and follow all the other Roman and Greek gods as well because they were all a big pantheon and they will be destroyed in their faith. So there are things that are going to be okay in your opinion or not and you've got the right to them or not. But as believers in Jesus, united to Jesus, we don't have just the right to our own opinions anymore, do we? We died to them at the cross. We're different now. United to Jesus, we need to be thinking about how does this appear to others? Is it helpful to them? All of our actions should be pointing to Jesus. And if it's not, why not let it go? Paul says, even if I never eat meat again in my whole life, who cares? Remember the cross. If I'm pointing people to Jesus, then that's okay. We've got to be careful with our freedom, he says, so that we don't cause others who are weaker to stumble. And then he goes on and he gives this incredible metaphor about what we're like as a church. Now, in Corinth, there was a temple to Asclepius. Can you all say that? Asclepius, not really. I practiced it for ages, and it may be wrong. Um, you would have seen, um, there's a statue of him, so he's got that staff with the snake. You've probably seen that in other medical logos. They still use it today. He was the Greek god of medicine. There was heaps of these all around the Greek area. Um, and here's the remains of the uh, temple at um, Corinth. And here's probably what it would have looked like in its heyday. So it was really not like a temple you'd worship. It was a, it would be a hospital, really. So they'd go there, they'd stay overnight, they would have medicine, even surgeries. There was areas to eat together, they'd have healthy food and areas of entertainment. It was like a full holistic Greek retreat. But what um, they would do is there were shops around, and uh, if they had, say, like a sore foot, they would buy a little clay foot. And that they had holes in them, so they'd hang them up around the walls of the temple, kind of like a prayer or a thanks um, to Asclepius. Remember my foot, Asclepius? Um, they'd have hands and eyes and ears and arms and fingers and brains, the whole lot we found. So it was kind of normal for the people in Corinth to see people rocking around holding bits of body, little clay body parts. Huh. And Paul starts to see this image and he starts to begin to build on this metaphor, doesn't he? He's like, we used to be like that. This all individual, like hands and feet rocking around, not, not connected. And a hand or a foot or an eye off by itself it doesn't have any life. It can't do anything by itself. It's a little bit grotesque. It is when we are one body, the body of Christ, enlivened by the Spirit of God, that we can actually do something in this world. So this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 12. The human body has many parts. This is what the Corinthians would have been aware of. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we are all baptized into one body, one spirit, and we share the same spirit. You can give them a round of applause.
Paul wasn't saying that we have to agree and be all the same. We're not going to just be all the same color and all the same culture and say all the same stuff and have the same opinions. But somehow our differences, which are God-given, and God loves our differences. He loves different cultures, different music, different food, different colors, different fashion. He loves it all. He made our differences. But somehow we become greater all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So this is part of the answer about how to be united in a divided world. We need to truly begin to see ourselves as part of, functioning part of the body of Christ. I'm not just united to Jesus, I'm also part of his body in the world. So I'm no longer, can I just be Kylie? No longer can you just be Claire or Kimberly or Chloe or Andrea, no longer are we ourselves. We are also part of the body. So we don't have the right to just spout our opinion anymore, to push our opinion, even if we are right in it and even if we have the right to do so, because now we live a different way, the way of the cross. We live through that of the cross. This doesn't give us no opinion. This doesn't make us a silent voice. This gives us a greater voice. And we can take a lesson from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a um, theologian and a pastor under Nazi Germany. The, German, uh, the Nazi party was making laws on the um, community and on churches, and they had begun to wrestle with, what are we meant to do about this? What laws should we follow to be good citizens of the world? And what laws can we not agree to uh, because they're against God and they're hurting people? And they happened bit by bit, so they were trying to work this out as time went on. And Bonhoeffer was also wrestling with how can the church be one voice? We're just this cacophony of different ideas and different opinions. He came to the conclusion that the church has a voice and must have a voice in the political arena, in the health arena, in education, in how we manage families. But it's not a political authority or an educational authority, not even a moral authority, he said. He said the church, the body of Christ, speaks on the basis of the gospel. Our authority is from Jesus on the basis of the gospel. And we are the only voice saying that in the world. And this is where Paul is leading the people at Corinth. You don't, you don't just get to be free and easy with your freedom and your rights. You must be careful with your freedom. Now, more than ourselves, we speak as the body of Christ on the basis of the gospel, always from a place of love, always from a place of understanding that we are connected as one body, and always from a place of here I sit, beneath the cross, with a humble heart, saying what Jesus wants to say to the world. Not triggered, not easily triggered, church, because our hearts are surrendered to Jesus. Our hearts are wrapped up in Jesus and not our own agendas. So the questions that we need to be wrestling with as a community, not just on our own, are actually greater than, is this thing right or wrong for me? What's my opinion on this thing? The questions are, have got to be, where is Jesus working and how do we start doing that work? 
where is Christ suffering and how can the bride of Christ ease his suffering? Where is are people thirsty that the church, the body of Christ can give them to drink? Who is in need of justice that the church can stand with them as they need justice? These are bigger questions than just what's right or wrong today. Where can we serve? Who, where can we heal? Who is hungry? Who is oppressed? This is the work of the body of Christ. And in this way, we can have one voice, the basis of the gospel, not be all separated with our different opinions, but we are unified with one heart, one song, one mind, under one spirit, being the body of Christ to the world, perfectly in mind with Jesus. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. That's what the body of Christ needs to be listening for and responding as as Jesus himself. The Lord is close to the downtrodden. He bandages up their wounds. That is the work of Jesus that the body of Christ needs to be about in the world. So let's just close by praying. Let's pray for ourselves and, and let's pray for our community as well. Let's pray for Port Lincoln and Alliston. And if you're from somewhere else, we pray with you for your town or city as well. Because, Lord Jesus, we know there are so many divisions, even in families, in businesses, in our whole community. There's so many divisions. And we see that your word is right. Having opinions doesn't bring unity. It, it weakens and it is love that strengthens. So right now we lift up every industry in our town education, the the fishing, the farming, every industry. We lift up every business to you, every workplace, every school, every family. We pray for you to bless us and to give us wisdom. Your wisdom that is grace-filled, your wisdom that you lavish on us because of your love. And I pray that the church, the whole universal church, that we would be able to be a light to those businesses and to the the people in this world and our community, that we can be different but be committed to caring for each other and serving each other in your love. We can celebrate differences and be unified in love. Psalm 133, it says, how good and pleasant is it to be in unity with our brothers and sisters. We know you want to bring that good and pleasant, the sweetness of your Holy Spirit. Help us as we wrestle with these things. We need your wisdom, God. Help us to be soft-hearted and not easily triggered or offended. Help us just to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, and know that Everything we do, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, comes from a place of being unified in love. Fill our hearts with your love. Touch us again with your love right now. That we can be the light to the world. Amen.